enjoy some sunshine? Warming up your face? Everybody going to work in their yard today, cleaning up everything they didn't do before it got cold? <laughs> Did I hear a boo? Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, we want to welcome our online audience this morning, so let's give them a big shout. Yes. Um, so I just want to say this morning, just like I said in the first service, I'm thankful for this house. I'm thankful for this place. I'm thankful for all of the people of Lake Church, all of my family. As I was driving in, that's what I was thinking was, God, I'm so thankful that I get to go to church, that I get to go to Lake Church. Like, I'm excited about that. I'm probably as excited about going to church as some of y'all are about going to a football game or a basketball game or, you know. <laughs> I get excited. I get, I get butterflies in my stomach and I get all jittery because I'm like, I'm going to church. You know, it's like a drug. It's like caffeine. But it's because... I feel the presence of God while I'm around those who are filled with the presence of God. And I can feel the love of God, and I'm thankful for that. I appreciate being able to come here. I appreciate getting greeted and, and people hugging me and telling me that they like me and saying hi, and it's good to see you. And I hope they mean it. But I do, I appreciate my church, and I'm so thankful that God has placed me there, here. I'm, I'm thankful that he, he has given me a place. He's given me a purpose and a direction. And it's not just in this body of Lake Church, but in his body, in the, in the body of all of Christendom, to be in his kingdom, to do what he has called me to do. I'm thankful for that. I don't, I don't always think about being thankful just for coming to church. But I thought, you know what, that's so simple, but it's so huge that, that I just, I really appreciate that God has made this available for me. And so I don't ever think about, uh, you know, I think about things from my side, like, I just attend here, you know, I just attend here. I forget that I work here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like in my mindset, I'm grateful that I'm here. I'm glad they let me in the doors. <laughs> No, I mean, I do work here, so they would have to fire me to get rid of me, but still. <laughs> I am thankful, and I'm grateful, and when I come in the house, I just think this is my family. They've been here for me through everything that I've gone through these last 15 years. They've been by my side. They have loved me. They've lifted me up. You guys have been so good to me, and I'm grateful. And I hope you're grateful this morning. <laughs> so as we give, that's what I wanted to remind you of, is just how grateful we are to be at the blessings that we have, even when they seem so small that we overlook them. So we have our offering envelopes on the seat back in front of you. We also have text to give, and you can give online at lake-church.com anytime. So I'm going to pray over our offering, and then we're going to continue with our service. Father God, I thank you for each and every person here this morning and everyone watching us online. I pray, Father, that their ears are open to hear and their eyes are open to see your word as it comes to pass and as it comes to fill them. I thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your abundance and your provision. I ask that you bless every sower and multiply it back to them a hundredfold. I thank you, Father, for this body, for this church, and I'm so glad, Lord, that we are able to be a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Morning. Amen. Well, before we get started, we've got uh, something special that we've been doing for a little bit called Sunday Night School. Sunday Night School. And... Um, we uh, kicked it off with um, disclosure class, and then Bob had a wonderful class called Reset that was a great blessing and will be a great blessing to us as it progresses through the year. Uh, we're going to have John Ramirez next week during Bob's class, so Bob will be back in March, and uh, so excited about that. And then we've got a new class that is starting tonight called Flow. And uh, this is taught by Jeff Craig, and Jeff Craig pastored for well over 20 years, almost 30 years of pastoring in the areas around here, 
and um, a tremendous man of God and a tremendous um, person that flows in the uh, power gifts and the revelation gifts. And so he's uh, going to impart his knowledge to uh, a group that comes together and uh, assists them in releasing what God has on the inside of them. Amen. So I'm going to give him just a few moments just to let us know about his uh, class and uh, what it is about and uh, what you're in store for if you show up at 6 o'clock at the new student ministry building. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Again, I, I want to invite you to come out tonight at 6, uh, but I want to share a testimony uh, years ago back in 1992. This is another story that the Lord had opportunity to flow through me. Um, we had just got out of main service, and uh, it was about 12 o'clock. We were in Yale at the time. All of a sudden, a lady shows up at my uh, car and knocks on the side of the glass door of my side, and I roll the window down. She said, Preacher, you got to help me. you got to help me. She said, If you don't help me, I'm going to drink myself to death. And I'm like, Okay. So I grabbed her hand, and I began to pray. And, of course, I released the power and anointing of the Spirit of God. And, and man, she felt so much better. Well, a day or so later, I had met up with her. She was literally drinking herself to death. Uh, but she went down the street that same day, all of a sudden had stopped and began to throw up. Well, if you know anything about deliverance, whenever you pray and release the power of God to begin to move on somebody, then manifestations of things that have been in her life will begin to come up out of her. Well, I met her the couple days later and she said, I don't know what you did, man of God, but something left me and my appetite listen my appetite for drinking was curved okay so again we need to learn how to flow in that prompting of the spirit of God when whenever a person has a need and and, and I want to do my best of my life experiences and also take you into that bedroom so that you can begin to unlock the elements of what God wants you to do in time of need. You know, I mean, think about it. How many of you know when the anointing is present? We need to be aware of that. Now, we know when the word is preached. We know the gift of teaching is upon pastor. But how many know when that anointing is present? You, you need to need that anointing in times as you're living life out there. And we want to do our part to help impart to you so that you can walk in a greater revelation in that area. Amen? Amen. Amen. So 6 o'clock, right back over here. It's going to be a good time. I encourage each and every one of you to be there. And, uh, you know, these classes are meant to be open forum. Uh, of course, you know, the teachers will always have a lesson that they will teach from and uh, to give you the information. But uh, these, are these are times in which uh, you can lift up your hand and say, you know what, I don't understand that. Help me understand that. Or I have a question concerning this. And that's, uh, it's all meant to help you grow. Amen? Amen? And that's what we're about. So let's turn in our Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, the great prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church of Ephesus and for us as well. Ephesians chapter 3, and starting with verse number 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Lord, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, or as the Passion Translation says, that you may be empowered to discover, empowered to discover uh, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God, the love of Christ, uh, that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How many would like to walk in the fullness of God? Now, positionally, you have that fullness. Did you know that? Positionally, John, the first chapter says, we have received of his fullness. And, but uh, the awareness of that fullness and the activation of that fullness 
And the execution of that fullness is something that we're all endeavoring to learn and grow in. Amen? And so the main thing that keeps you from seeing these things begin to manifest in your life, although positionally you have them, but how many of you realize just because you have a driver's license doesn't make you a good driver? And just because you have a marriage certificate doesn't mean you've got a great marriage. So we can have something positionally. We can have something that legally states that we have this and have that and uh, that we're this, but that doesn't mean that we're executing it. It doesn't mean that we're operating in it. So there is a process, and, and, and he, he uses the word strength to comprehend or empowered to discover. So it tells me this, that who I really am in Christ has to have a power I have to have the power of God to get the revelation of these things because there is opposition to that revelation. There is absolute, utter opposition to you finding out who you really are. Amen? And uh, what you are to do because your life has been strategized against. It has been plotted against to keep you from seeing truly your purpose, your provision and your power that is in Christ Jesus. Now notice you don't have it inherently within yourself. These are all his. It's his power. It's his purpose. It's his plan. It's his anointing. It's his inheritance. It's his power. It's not ours. I don't carry it around like I carry around my wallet. Amen. I'm a vessel filled with the life of God that transmits and transfuses the life of God through my life into other people. Amen? And that's what Jeff is talking about, and that's what the, 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 you know, his testimony was about, is bringing forth the life of God that's on the inside and transferring it to the helpless, to the hurting, to the last, to the lost, to the least. These are all vital and important to understand. But the devil doesn't want you to know that. The devil wants you pursuing things and putting your eyes on things that keep you from your true nature and your true calling. And so we're endeavoring to do that. Now, the first time we talked about the flesh and how we focus on our flesh primarily in our life, and our earth life, at the expense of our spirit. You can focus on the flesh and on your natural mind and education at the expense of your spirit. In fact, the more I train the mind, I can train my mind against the things of God. I can listen to things that take away my faith. I can listen to things that can take away my understanding. I can listen to things that promote unbelief in my life, and it causes my spirit to be short-circuited when God wants to do something through my life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that here at this time. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, I'm, I'm endeavoring to try to take new ground than I did at 9 o'clock. If you're interested in 9 o'clock, you can go back and listen to it. But uh, I'm going to start at verse number 11. Now, he is talking about unforgiveness. Okay, so the, the, the context of the scripture is unforgiveness. And he basically talks about how that unforgiveness opens you up to be outwitted by Satan. Notice what it says. He says, you know, he says, I forgive. Uh, it was a situation in the church in which they were restoring a brother from a sin that he had committed. And there was problems in the church with whether what the church should do. And you know, that's still a question today. And unfortunately, we haven't learned our lesson that when people miss it, they need to be restored and brought back to, brought back to the Lord. Amen? And we shouldn't cast them aside and throw them under the bus and things of that nature, okay? And a lot of times, especially if a leader misses it, they'll just expel him and banish him, you know, to, uh, you know, outside of the church. And that isn't necessarily scriptural at all. Uh, restoration needs to be offered and repentance needs to be, you know, issued and, and, and understood so that they can be restored back to what God has for them. Amen? 
And uh, a, lot of, a lot of them say, well, they messed up, you know, they should be perfect. Well, are you perfect? No, none of us are. None of us are. So there needs to be a restoration path. And of all places, the church should be the place where forgiveness is primary. I mean, it should be the, it's the character of God, so it should be the character of his church. Amen? But they were having trouble with it, just like congregations have trouble with it today. But the Apostle Paul says, listen, you better forgive. You better walk in forgiveness towards this because so that, verse 11, we would not be outwitted by Satan. So that tells me this. Unforgiveness and deception go hand in hand. Unforgiveness and deception go hand in hand. If you're a person that is prone to unforgiveness, you are a deceived person. And the problem with deception is you don't know when you're being deceived. That's the whole crux of, you know, deception is we don't know we're being deceived. And so we need to understand that when I get into unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone else, I'm actually opening myself up to deception. I'm falling into a trap that the enemy has. Because notice what he says, for we are not ignorant of his mind games. Well, a lot of people are ignorant of his mind games because that's what the word uh, schemes or designs uh, in your translation means. It means mind games. So basically when we operate in unforgiveness, we're basically allowing the devil to put a mind game in our, in our, in our soul. And we will play mind games until we resolve that issue. And we talked a lot about it at the first service. I, I want to move on to other things. I feel led to move on to other things. So go back and listen to that service as well. So the mind games of the devil are meant to conceal and distract you from seeing who Christ is in you. If you've got the greater one on the inside of you, then the best thing that the devil can do, he can't stop the greater one. So he has to stop the greater one's ability to manifest in your life. And he does that through the soul. You've got to understand that the battle for your life is the battle of the soul. Your spirit is alive unto God. If you're born again, your spirit is alive unto God. You have Christ living on the inside of you. Your spirit is perfect in the sight of God. Our soul is in process of transformation, and our body will inevitably be changed. But until that time, we're still going to have to put our body in subjection and make it a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. We are going to have to do something with our body, and we are called to do something with our mind. But God has done everything about our spirit. Amen? Amen. So understand that. Now, I've got a picture here. Um, if they put it up of, the, of, of an outline of the tabernacle. How many remember tabernacled last year that Kevin and I were able to bring forth some good stuff there? So we have this... Uh, this tabernacle here and you can see that it is in three parts because the tabernacle like we taught you during tabernacle and you can get the USB if you want to listen to more good stuff there Kevin had a lot of wonderful stuff uh, that is a great blessing to me and that I've gleaned a lot of information from but you can see that there's three parts those three parts represent the three part makeup of man 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this. He says, I pray that God sanctify you wholly, not holy, but wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and let your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord. So God desires a sanctification process or a set-apart process for all three parts of your being. We talked a lot about the soul and spirit connection last week. And so I want to kind of uh, show you that this is basically a body. This is basically an outline of the human makeup 
of spirit, soul, and body. And it is, uh, minus the veil, it is how man, man was originally supposed to operate. Amen? And so you have the first outer court, re re which represents our body, which has the altar of sacrifice and the labor. <coughs> and a lot of people live their life in the outer court. They live a very um, sense-ruled Christianity, okay? So it's all about dealing with my weaknesses, sacrificing for my weaknesses, and cleaning myself up. And so they kind of stay out in the outer court, and they never really go into the deeper things that God has for them, which is in the holy place and in the most holy place. So outside, if I am, if I am staying outside, then I am, I am operating in what is known as carnal Christianity or carnal-mindedness, okay? So I kind of see, if I stay out there, that these are kind of obstacles. Each one of these, the, the, the altar, the laver, and then when I go into the holy place, I've got the menorah, I've got the table of showbread, and I've got the altar of incense. Then there's a veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place where the throne of God is, which is the Ark of the Covenant. So if I'm carnally minded and if I'm positioning myself just dealing with my sin, and like I, I like to say it this way, most Christians, Christianity is dealing with my sin to get closer to Him. Majority of people live in that realm. Is I've got to deal with my sin to get closer to Him. And I'm telling you, that's absolutely laborious. That is something that will wear you out. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't serve enough. You can't wash enough. You can't pray enough. And so when you sit outside and you're constantly, and a lot of people live on this outer part, and they're frustrated, they're burnout, because what does he want now? There's no life to my walk with God. It's all, yes, I know, I'm a failure. I missed it again. I, uh, and we need to understand that the outer court, the altar of sacrifice and the laver represent the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. And that the altar has been rendered satisfied. Oh. See, we got to have that mindset. If I'm going to move into the deeper places, I've got to realize that Christ's work is complete and perfect. And that he satisfied, he was the propitiation, which means he was the satisfaction as an offering unto God on my behalf. That there is absolutely no more need for me to sacrifice and give offerings unto the Lord because I cannot add to nor take away what Jesus has perfectly and completely done. The reason for the altar today is not in the offering of necessarily sacrifices trying to buy my way out of my guilt, but it is to crucify my flesh and to bring it as an offering, as a offering unto God, a living sacrifice. It means that I use that altar not necessarily to add to Christ's work, but to acknowledge it and to put my flesh in subjection so that I can go deeper into the things of God. Because the greatest veil that you have from experiencing the life of God is your flesh. 
If you can't get rid of that and crucify that, then you'll never truly experience the life that God intended for you because your flesh wants what it wants. It has to be uh, treated and subordinated just like an unruly entity in your life. We can think of unruly children. We can think of unruly spouses. We can think of unruly people in our life and unruly animals. How many have ever trained an animal? Is it unruly? And our flesh is like that. Our flesh has to be put upon that altar. But that altar is not a means to get salvation anymore. Do you understand that? There's people trying to give, them, give their way out of something, serve their way out of something, pray their way out of something. And I'm telling you, that's laborious. That will wear you out. That is a religious hamster wheel that will destroy you. It will absolutely destroy you. Because when I'm looking on the outside in, my Christianity is based upon, I gotta get to God. I'm preaching the truth here. Well, if I could just get to God, if I could just get there, and there's a lot, I, I dare say 100% of the people sitting in this room have the mindset that if I could just get closer. And I'm telling you, that is a mindset the enemy wants you to continue to foster. Okay? All right? Because right there you see the two degrees or the two polar opposites. You see the carnal mind, which is represented by the outer court. And then you see the spirit mind, which is represented by the most holy place. Jesus removed the veil. So that means now the holy place and the most holy place represent the human heart. Which the human heart is your spirit and your soul. So the spirit, of course, is the holy of holies. It's where God dwells in his perfection. But in the holy place, you have three pieces of furniture. And they represent your spirit, uh, they represent your mind, your will, and your emotions. It represents the soul, okay? Now, if I'm carnally minded, this is the mindset that I have, okay? Now, I'm going to need some volunteers. No, I'll just volunteer you. <laughs> Jesse, would you be right over here and just stand right on that line facing me this way? Let's say that Jesse represents the presence of God. Amen? The presence of God. Back over across this line is what would be known as the the outer court and would be sense knowledge Christianity or carnal mindedness, all right? So I'm operating, you know, I'm giving sacrifices and I'm washing myself up the best I can. Whenever I mess up, I go to the laver and, you know, I get my Bible reading plan every year at the start of every year and I stop every March, (laughs) you know. I mean, I've just got this works mentality. It's not a relationship. It's that I have to do it. This is what I got to do. And there's no life to it at all. And I'm just sitting out here. So I know that the Holy, Holy of Holies is right there. So instead of seeing the direct access that Jesus has has given us, I begin to see these pieces of furniture as obstacles. Okay? Now I'm going to get you here with your New Year's resolutions. All right? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to give you a little pinch, but it'll be all right. Okay? So, Bob, would you be over here? And Bob's going to be the, the menorah. 
because Bob gives a lot of light, doesn't he? Amen? He gives a lot of light. Amen? Patrick, would you come over and would you be right in front of Jesse as the altar of incense, all right? Now, this represents my will. This Because rep- will and worship go hand in hand. Will and worship go hand in hand. So, and then, come up here, my brother. We call him Trevor, Travis, whatever we call him. But he's going to be the, the table of showbread, which represents the mind, which is the bread of God, the Word of God, that we renew our mind with the Word of God. We have the menorah, which represents my emotions, because right here, you need, yeah, that's what you need to do. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't. But anyway, it represents, because when the Holy Spirit comes into my life, I am able to sense his will, his mind, his emotions about situations. How many know that to be true? So, so I can be walking in the, um, the grocery store and minding my own business, and then I see someone, and then the emotion of the Spirit, it's a sense that I get, and I'm able to see what is not seen by everybody else. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's what the menorah represents. It represents a lot of things, but mainly when we're dealing with spirit, soul, and body, we have got the mind, we have got the uh, feelings or the sensibilities, and then we've got the will, and then we've got the holy place where God is. Now, if if I am out here just operating from the altar to the laver, I, I am just kind of in a works mode. I'm just kind of, oh my goodness gracious, I, you know, what can I do next? And it's just all about where I can serve, how long I can serve. People will leave churches because they don't feel like this work is being appreciated. Well, they don't appreciate what I do. Well, what are you doing? You're just dealing with your same old sin problem. Oh, come on now. You're dealing with your porn problem. You're de- you know, we got to talk to you about treating your wife better. Come on now, back and forth, back and forth. Well, God wants you to realize that the sacrifice of Christ empowers you to crucify the flesh, to cleanse and wash you with the laver, so that you can go into this place because the priest could not go into that place unless they were washed unless they were washed with the water of the word so if I'm out here and I perceive which is not truth but I perceive God's over there do you understand what I'm saying if I perceive that God's over there then this is an obstacle course. This is hoops I got to jump through. This is a religious dance that I've got to do to get to God. But the true reality is this, is that when you received Christ, you were translated to live here. Do you see what I'm saying? So this is the spiritual mind. You see what I'm saying? This is the spiritual mind. This is me understanding who I am. I'm seated with him. I'm one with him. Regardless of how I feel. Regardless of what I'm going through. Regardless of whether I'm I'm necessarily doing the best I can or not. Positionally, this is where I'm at. I'm to operate from this point place but when a Christian limits their life to a carnal minded existence they don't see it that way they see every problem that comes to their life they say well if I could just get over there if I could just get over there my answer will be there And so what do we do? We start grilling for God. 
start trying to make some kind of sacrifice so that we can be noticed. Hey, hey, hey. You see what I'm saying? Notice this. I'm working in the nursery. I'm changing dirty diapers. They told me I didn't have to, but I wanted to because I want to get where you're at. And people will live that way. And people will get over in there and they'll use the Word of God. I mean, most people have their Bible in their house in a case that says, Break glass only in times of emergency. So I get a report from the doctor. Well, I guess I better crack this open. I better get in here and, and, and get, get to work. I don't understand it. I don't... God, this is frustrating. Okay? So then I get into the routine of reading the Word. You know, it doesn't really have life to it. don't really understand what is being said, but I'm doing my best. I've, I've grilled for the Lord. I've done that, and now here I get into some stuff like... Because I know that if I've got to get to Him, I've got to do something... With the Word, I've got to do something with the Holy Spirit, and I've got to be able to change my will to what He wants. And this is where people stop, and this is where the majority of people are at. You ever played pinball? Boom! 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 Boop. Boop. And that is not what this furniture is for. <coughs> Do you understand? So, majority of our efforts are... <coughs> I know I need to read the Bible more. I really do. I need to eat more bread. I really do. I need to eat more bread. I need to renew my mind. But, you know, instead, during the pandemic, I watched Tiger King twice. And, you know, the NFL season is almost over, and I got to see those games. I got to see those games. I know I should. I know I need to be more sensitive to God. You know, he told me to go and minister to somebody, and I, I just didn't feel like it. I just thought I was afraid, and I was just all mixed up. And, you know, God's really moving on me to, to give and to serve and to do things. But, you know, I just don't have any time. I don't, I don't have any time at all. You know, I'm busy. I'm running the kids around, and, and you know, it just, it's just a mess. How about this? You know, one of these days I'm going to say yes to the Lord. One of these days, I'm, I'm going to do what he's asking me to do. But not now. Not now. One of these days. Just one of these days. One of these days, I'm going to make right decisions, you know. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sowing my oats, kind of doing my own thing. And, you know, I don't know. So what does that do? That leads us back. Are you getting a hold of this? So we begin to function back in the primary way, and we can say, I'm a Christian, but I'm working on sin to get closer to Him. And it is absolutely tough because I'm not allowing Him to do the work. I'm doing it. When, if I get a revelation and understand that the altar is now a place in which I crucify my flesh, where the Word is where I begin to clean myself up, clean myself from dirty works and things of that nature and, and begin to get re-energized, then I get in here and I begin to partake of the Word in a different way because these are both types of the Word, but they're different types of the Word. One is for cleansing, the other is for sustenance. 
okay? So, and I'm eating the word. Well, all of a sudden, my emotional state begins to change, and I begin to see things as the Holy Spirit sees them because I'm feeding on the Holy Spirit's word. So the nature of, of, of Christ is being poured into me by the word of God, which gives me the eyesight of Christ, which gives me the ability to know, understand, and perceive him in my life, like Jeff's going to talk about tonight, to where I can move with him. And that leads me to be able to take my will and subordinate it through worship You see, that brings me into a deeper revelation that I am here, I am not there. Positionally in Christ, I am not out there, I am here. So now, get this, these are no longer obstacles. These are weapons. Did you get that? They're no longer obstacles, me trying to get somewhere. I am here in Christ, so therefore my worship becomes a weapon. The Holy Spirit and his gifts become a weapon of my warfare that are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I don't read the word to try to get there. I read the word to keep in conversation with where I'm at so I'm here learning, growing, listening to God. And that means when I go out to the outer court, I'm equipped. Are you alive? To do what God has called me to do. Amen? You guys can be seated. So that's how it works. This is you. Now you need to understand certain things about the tabernacle. First off, God creates a body and then he breathes his life into that body. That's how God works. But that's also how the enemy works. The enemy creates a thought and then seeks to inhabit that thought with a spiritual entity. So if you're continuously thinking on things that bring addiction and bondage and death and pain and hurt, then he seeks to build that within the fabric of your soul and then insert a spiritual entity to house that. It's the same with God. God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. He built the body first to put the real man on the inside as he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. So the real Adam is what came out of God, not what was made by the dirt. Okay? It is the same with the tabernacle. When the tabernacle was built, it was meant to be an object lesson to show the new creation. First, it showed the old creation because it had a veil where the new creation has no veil. In fact, your spirit and your soul can now merge territories. It couldn't before because you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you had no spiritual life on the inside of you. But now the veil has been taken out and the things of God can now begin to take uh, occupancy within your soul. Your soul has been built to work against you. That's what my point is. Satan over the period of your life has began to construct a city, began to construct a, 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 a cosmos that's on the inside of your soul that keeps God hidden and the things of God hidden to you. Even though they are very much right just across the border, they're concealed to you. They are veiled. Now let's look at, uh, go over to Second um, Corinthians chapter 4. They're veiled. 
So in the next just few minutes, the next 14 minutes, we'll try to tackle this, all right? So notice what he says in verse, let's look at chapter 4, and let's start with verse number 3. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, okay, he's using the, 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 the tabernacle as a means. He's using veil because that's the only place that a veil was, was in the tabernacle and the temple. Now, some of you would say hidden. Some translations will say, you know, obscured or hidden, but it's really the right word is veiled, okay? So he says... And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled. Now, notice he uses it twice. So anytime a word is used twice in the Scripture, you need to take notice. It's an important key word to understanding uh, this verse. So he says, it is veiled, notice, to those, um, to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now this is how the devil blinds us. He doesn't blind us by taking away our sight. He blinds us by getting us to put our sight on something else. Okay, A lot of the problem with our lives when we are out of whack is based upon focus. Our eye is not single. It is a divided, evil eye. It sees other things, and it promotes distraction from what is real. Now, the word veiled is very interesting in the Greek. It's the Greek word kalupto, and it means to cover up, to camouflage, to obscure, and to hide. So the gospel, which is not just Jesus died for you so that you can go to heaven, the gospel is Jesus died for you so that everything that Adam lost you can have restored to you. That is the gospel. The gospel is not just about redemption and rescue but it's about replication. God saved you to live in you. He cleaned you up so that his spirit could inhabit you and he could replicate himself through your life. The problem is, is that our soul has been put in a position to where it resists God living in us and through us. Do you understand what I'm saying? The carnal mind is enmity against God. So it doesn't want God living through me. It doesn't want God necessarily influencing me. I am carnally minded. And you can be carnally minded and have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. The devil doesn't care if you're six feet in the ground or if you're here. He's going to render you inoperative. He wants you to be the walking dead. Okay? So he veils us, kalupto in the Greek, it's a companion word, kalube, which means to build a hut or an edifice over. And so we can see that he builds strongholds to cover over and to hide in plain sight what God has done in you. He knows he can't eliminate it. He can't take it out of you, but he'll hide it from you. Now, how does he hide it? Well, if we look at this uh, diagram, we begin to see that the soul is represented by the three furnitures that are in the, in the holy place. Okay, so he has to do something to those three pieces. 
He has to alter those three pieces in some way. And just as God operates in threes, the enemy operates in threes. So the main aspects of the enemy are going to be temptation, deception, and accusation. Those three things he uses to alter the furniture that is in your soul to where it doesn't operate the way that it's supposed to. So what does he come in? Well, he attacks the table of showbread with temptation. Because what does the showbread represent? It represents the appetite for the things of God. So he uses temptation to get you to have appetites that are not in accordance with God's Word, and that you become a slave to your appetites, and that your appetites begin to dictate to you how you spend your time, what you can do and what you cannot do, who you can hang around and who you cannot hang around. Because we all flock together, depended upon fellowship around our personal appetites. So he alters and perverts this table of showbread by getting you to focus on things that are not godly appetites. Then he comes into the realm of deception. And he affects the menorah in our soul by altering the light to where it's not what it seems. Gets you to see things that are not there. Gets you to believe that God isn't who he says he is. And that the light that you have received is an anomaly. And he begins to deceive you against the move of the Spirit. Listen. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of the most attacked doctrines in the Bible. Why is that? Because deception has come in through religious teaching that keeps people from accessing something that is a power given to them by God. Who would not want you to have that power? Just who do you think that might be? So he gets you into this religious mindset that tongues is of the devil and the move of the Spirit is something that, that is, is false and wrong. And deception takes away your menorah. But then we get to the will, which is represented by the altar of incense, and we begin to get into the realm of accusation. Because what will keep you from doing the will of God and obeying God is the accusing words of the adversary that say that God is withholding from you. God is not answering your prayer. God did not care about you when you were hurting. God was not there when you went through what you went through. God is not a keeper of his word. God only helps certain people. And these accusations take away our willingness to obey him. And that is the nature of the devil that is on the inside of each and every person where the residue, if we allow it, will stay within our carnal mind if we do not renew our mind with the Word. Are you with me? Then he creates a system. And we've talked about this quite a bit. And that system is found in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. Notice there are three parts to this system. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. How does he neutralize that furniture? Well, first off, the lust of the flesh. Very easy. It goes against the table of showbread because, again, it emphasizes our carnal appetites. When your carnal appetites supersede your spiritual appetite, you're in trouble. Let me say that again. That went over like a lead balloon. When your carnal appetites supersede your spiritual appetite, you're in trouble. You are not in the place of power. You're being dominated. Hello. 
When you start not having a desire for the Word anymore, a desire to come to church, a desire to grow, to be discipled, a desire to pray, you're under attack because you were created to do all those things. That's what you were created to do. Okay? So then we have the lust of the eyes. Well, that, does, that affects our menorah because we don't see things right. We don't see things right. Things are perverted. Things are twisted. Things are convoluted. We're not seeing accurately. It's the deception that we talked about. And he holds us and locks us in to seeing life a certain way. When all the while we have the Holy Spirit within us, we have the renewed mind. If we renew our mind, we'll be able to see as God sees. We'll be able to see. Because when we have the correct lens, we can see life for what it truly is. But when we have the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, which represent the carnal mind, we don't see things accurately. But then we get over into the pride of life. And that deals with our altar of incense, which is our worship, which is our will. And the pride of life actually is Greek. It means the boasting of this life. So that means that I no longer associate myself with God, I associate myself with my job, with my performance, with my stuff, with my accolades, with my attributes, with my accomplishments. And I boast about it. Look what I did. Look what I've done. Look what I have achieved. And that holds me in lockstep with what the devil wants to do with my life, which is to put my focus on the things of this world and this world system at the expense of knowing who I truly am in Christ Jesus. Are you awake? Are you okay? This is, this is what happens. Now let's talk, and I'll close with this because i got two minutes. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. Jesus is the representative of the life of God. He is the holy of holies. He's carrying around God manifest in the flesh. And this young man comes, and he's obviously a religious young man because he comes to Jesus and he says, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it says that Jesus looked on him, and one of the, one of the uh, gospels says, and he looked on him and he loved him. So this wasn't something to make the young man run away. He wasn't trying to offend the young man. He wasn't trying to discourage the young man. He was trying to really answer his question. He wasn't even testing the young man. The question was, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He says, well, go Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Now, the rich young ruler's reaction is a reaction many of us have. Because we think that Jesus is asking this young man to be in poverty. But he's not. What he's telling him to do is unhook. Oh, you're not. To unhook from the system. Unhook from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Unhook from the temptation, the deception, and the accusation of the enemy. Walk in freedom. True freedom. But the young man didn't see that. And he walked away discouraged. He walked away because his stuff had him. Jesus was introducing him to true riches. He was introducing him to the holy of holies. He's teaching him to unhook from the very thing 
that is destroying his life even though his physical circumstances prove to the contrary. And that, my friend, is what Jesus begins to deal with in our lives. Because remember this saying that he said in Matthew 16. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and follow me. For whosoever will lose his life will find it. But whosoever will keep his life will lose it. Now, the word life is very important because it's the Greek word suke. You know what that means? Soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. He says, if you don't lose that. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about losing your connection points that seal you to this system. Are you with me? Is this a little too deep for you? Well, what is he doing? We, we all watch The Matrix, don't we? We saw that stuff coming out of Neo's neck. Come on now. That's exactly the picture here, friends. The enemy has that locked into you, and he's tied it into the very thing that God uses to reveal things to you, and he's chosen an alternative reality for your life. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus, in John the 16th chapter, he said this. He said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have tests. You're going to have trial. Why? Because this world system's evil. People are always getting upset, thinking that God's causing all this starvation, all this pain, and all this hurt. And when people die, people blame God. Well, God took him. No, God didn't take him at all. What happened was, is Adam sinned against God and brought death into the world. So stop blaming God for death. He is the prince of life. And the sole reason why your loved one is in heaven today is because of the work of Jesus Christ. What do you want to do? Live till you're 150? In this body? Almost said, hell no, and I guess I will. <laughs> I'm surprised and shocked at people because we're so carnally minded that we'll let somebody who is in pain, who is hurt, who has been riddled with all kinds of sickness and disease, and we want them there because we want them. And I'm here to tell you, the real man ain't even that body. Ain't even that body. Though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. I'm telling you that new life. I remember, I told you the story. I sat and watched a man that was passing from this life, and he was in his 80s, and his skin glowed because the, the life that was on the inside of him was one to bust out of that cocoon, and that's all this thing is. And they're far better off where they're at. You just think so highly of yourself that they, that they need you to exist. I'm, I'm talking to somebody in this room right now. We are so carnal-minded. We cannot see past this life. We're so worried about breathing air, drinking water, and drinking and eating food. And that's all we think about in sex. That's it. There is more. You were created for more. You were created to operate in many different planes and in many different dimensions. But the only way that you're going to unlock that in your life is with that Bible that is right next to you and the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you. The only way that's going to open up that realm is for you to acknowledge what God has done on the inside of you. 
But that's the thing we neglect the most. Just throw it out. Can't even come to church anymore. And I'm not saying it to be legalistic because I'm not. I'm not a legalistic man. But I'm telling you, my friends, that when I come to church and I read my Bible and I get down and I pray, I am subordinating my flesh. I am telling my flesh, you are not the master. You are not the ruler. You are not the boss of me. You subordinate to the real me on the inside. He said, I bring my body into subjection. I bring it into subjection. So this is just an it. Did your body want to come here? Thank you. Praise the Lord. No. And it's absolutely the truth. No one's dead. No. It never wants to do anything that's right. It just doesn't. Hello. The body checks the weather. The temperature. It looks like it might rain somewhere. Hello. Does your body like to go to the gym? Well, that's a trick question. Because initially it doesn't. But when you start getting results and the accolades of people and get connected, oh, come on now. And you can't stop going to the gym. I'm telling you, your flesh is deceptive. It, is, it will trick you. It will fool you. That's the reason why you got to put it on that altar. You got to make it a living sacrifice. If you're going to go into the deeper things of God and experience, because you're already there. I'm not saying that crucifying your flesh is going to put you in a position where, oh, oh, God says, oh, I can use you now. God already wants to use you. God is already using you. God is already with you. He's never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You're not trying to earn his presence. You operate from his presence. What I'm teaching you is the awareness. And the fact that you were created to live for so much more. You've been empowered to discover this. God's given you that. Amen? Now, we're going to have counselors that are here to assist you if you need to be born again, need to rededicate your life to the Lord, need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or you need deliverance and healing in your body. And so, praise the Lord. Jesse's going to come and close us out.